Welcome to Fables of Our Deconstruction, a podcast where we examine our systems of faith and culture together as we grow as people. I'm your host, Dylan. If you like what you hear, be sure to check me out at patreon.com slash Dylan. If you'd like to be on a future episode, leave me a message over at 515-318-7569 or find Fables of Our Deconstruction on Anchor FM and send me a voice message. If you want your name shared, include it in your message. Otherwise, I'll keep you anonymous. Now let's deconstruct. So we're still here talking about a variety of arguments in favor of, from my position, particularly a, a Christian religious God. And this week I thought it would be interesting for us to tackle some uh, miracles that have uh, supposedly happened, or that there's a claim that they've happened, and discuss each one a little bit, and try to try to deconstruct them a little bit, ask some questions about them, and not necessarily make a, up a, I don't, I don't want to make up your mind for you, but let's let's just take them apart a little bit and raise some questions. That's my goal this week. Uh, one of the reasons I'm focusing on miracles right now is because it's an argument that's frequently utilized uh, and is sometimes cased with prophecy, which I know we'll be getting to either next week or the week thereafter. But... Uh, um, these things can be lofty examples that sometimes have the weirdest evidence, and I think that that's an interesting ground for us to work in. So I'm going to be utilizing an article from history.co.uk. This is the History Channel's UK website. For some reason, I'm not finding this list on their English, or excuse me, on their American website. But I find that fascinating that one of the top searches, at least from my Google, uh, when just looking for a list of miracles, uh, is History Channel. Because History Channel, at least in the United States, is riddled with conspiratorial thinking, uh, deep credulity, and, and frankly, it's become more of a fantasy uh, than than real history so let's see what history uk has to say uh and one of the reasons i picked this is i I looked at various lists uh even some from uh like uh uh, catholic church websites Uh, a lot of them just get so long and i don't want to spend forever on this so i picked this one because it's it's reflected in many other lists from christian groups and sites uh but it breaks down into five particular miracles and i'm going to read them verbatim then i'll talk about them briefly one of the things i want you to focus on in the reading is let's just think about some of the words that history channel has chosen to utilize uh i also want to preface this by saying some of these uh utilize languages that i am not well versed in so i will do my best to pronounce things as accurately as possible but i make no guarantees let's get into it the first one, Lourdes. Lourdes is one of the world's most famous miracle sites, a French grotto which is said to have healing properties for those who drink or bathe in it. And we aren't talking about curing a headache or funny stomach stuff here. This grotto supposedly has a heavy-duty healing power, and there have been multiple cases throughout history of it curing seemingly terminal or incurable ailments. On the 10th of May, 1948, Jeanne Fratel arrived at Lourdes in a comatose state 
as a result of tuberculosis peritonitis. After being given Eucharist, which is communion um, in Christian Mass, Jeanne woke up from her coma and declared herself cured. Her miracle cure was officially recognized in 1950. One of the most recent examples of Lord's healing property is Jean-Pierre Billet, who arrived on the 9th of October 1987, suffering from multiple sclerosis. After spending time near Lourdes's water, he was declared cured. Now, first I want to mention, uh, that was the reading. Um, they said things like supposedly, and I'm actually kind of proud of History Channel for using words that uh, discuss this more as like, this is the claims people are making, and I think we'll see more of that language as we go forward. Uh, here's what my biggest question, immediately. If we have a miracle site, giant quotes, because miracles are difficult to define word. If we have a miracle site where people are being cured of ailments by touching, being in, or being near water, a specific source of water, why is the water only valuable in that one spot? Uh, if this is running water, is it possible that you could be miraculously cured upstream, downstream? Are any of these things options? Another one is looking at Jean Fratel. Was the Eucharist necessary for her to be cured? Also, they didn't provide any sources to say that any of this actually happened. And on a lot of these websites, even the ones that were uh, more backed by specific Christian groups that I was finding, they don't cite sources. They just say these things. So unless I do a lot more digging, I'm not even convinced these people necessarily existed. I'm not saying they didn't. There's just not a lot of evidence here. Uh, finally, if this body of water uh, in this grotto, if it... So it, it's a grotto. So it's probably not a river. It's probably spring-fed, right? So maybe you'd have to dig under to get to more healing water. But the thing is, if this grotto heals people, it doesn't say it's healed everyone who's come to it, right? And it kind of elaborates on specific stories of specific people. And my question is, why is it being discriminatory? If someone has gone to this site and wasn't tremendously healed, why did it not heal them? And furthermore, if it is entirely driven by a god choosing to heal you, then this is a troubling God who is willing to let others suffer and heal those they pick. That's difficult for me. So those are the questions I have for this one. Can you back up these actual people? And, you know, does all of this water work? Can we bottle this water? Can we, can we give this water out worldwide and cure multiple people? Um, can you document anything more recent that has been involved with better evidence uh can you film someone being healed of something tremendous let's move on to the next one this one's called the miracle of the sun here's the reading this is one of if not the miracle with the highest number of witnesses it's a weird sentence between 50,000 and 100,000 people claim to have seen the miracle of the sun on the 13th of October in 1917 while standing in the Cova de Iria fields near Fatima, Portugal. 
Reportedly after a downfall of rain and dark clouds, the sky became clear and the sun appeared as a spinning disk. After emitting multicolored lights, it appeared to zigzag quickly toward the earth. Some witnesses said their clothes, previously wet, had dried instantly. Some people attributed the phenomena to Our Lady of Fatima, an apparition of the Virgin Mary, which had appeared to three young shepherd children on three different occasions, supposedly telling them to watch out for a miracle on that specific day in October. It was officially accepted as a miracle by the Roman Catholic Church on the 13th of October, 1930. So immediately after reading that one, my first concern is well, there's no documentation that even the Catholic Church accepted this. They don't link to like you know a, a particular site from the Vatican or anything like that. They don't link to any strict documentation that's very difficult. Uh, they are being kind with their words and saying things like supposedly and making claims. Uh, so I, I want to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but what's interesting is they talk about like the sun becoming this multicolored spinning disc and zigzagging. Now, these are some tremendous claims. Uh, but we have a lot of amazing tools in astrological science. Uh, not even astrological. You know, like, I, I should use a better word. And... In astronomy, we have an amazing set of tools that allows us to track where the sun is, has been, and is going to be. Not just the sun, but other celestial objects around us. Um, and so, what evidence do we have of something that would cause these changes? And if the sun zigzagged and ran toward Earth, there must be other changes that happened to the Earth other than these people. Right, the sun getting closer could have catastrophic effects on the temperature, on our greenhouse effects. It could cause other creatures to die. Uh, there, there's a lot of different things that you know. I'm not specifically a scientist, but things that I can start to question, like what probably would have happened if that took place. And we don't have a good like record or census on the supposed 50,000 to 100,000 people. That's a pretty big swing. That's not like saying like 60 to 65 people are in the room. It's either 50,000 or double that claim to have witnessed this miracle. So my question is, did that many people actually see it? Or like the nonprofit One Million Moms, is it really just one person? These are good questions to ask, I think. And then finally, it feels like we're doing a little um, post-diction. There, there's this claim that these three shepherd children uh, received information from an apparition of the Virgin Mary that a miracle was going to happen on the 13th of October in 1917. Um, and it sounds like there's, there's a little bit of post-diction where they go, oh, this event took place, this weird thing took place that all these people claim to have seen. Remember those those shepherd kids and the thing they talked about? This must be that. Uh, so it sounds like they found ways to shoehorn uh, a prophecy into fulfillment. Uh, and it's very loose on the definition of what actually took place there. So I, I don't even know if I can elaborate. I'm just left unsure. Let's go on to number three here. We've got Padre Pio, originally named Francesco Forgione. Padre Pio was a Roman Catholic 
Capuchin priest who had perhaps the world's most famous case of stigmata. Stigmata is incurring the wounds that Christ had when he was on the cross. Uh, Despite his efforts to the contrary, news of his mysterious wounds on the palms of his hands and feet went global in the early 1920s. In addition to burying the marks of Christ's crucifixion, some people also attested to Padre Pio as having powers such as healing, prophecy, and levitation. One of the most tangible and undeniably mysterious things about him is the fact that when his corpse was exhumed in March 2008, he looked almost exactly the same as he did when he died 40 years earlier in 68. Okay, well, there's a lot here. Uh, Claim of stigmata. Now, one of the things I want to mention is that you can experience wounds on your hands and on your feet. Now, stigmata claims that these wounds appear suddenly or, you know, they just somehow appear without penetrative wounds actually taking place. However, we don't know if this Padre Pio uh, had experienced the stigmata in front of other people who could have documented it just suddenly taking place. So there is a chance that he had believed his own faith so much that he was willing to incur these injuries, whether on his own or have someone else drive things into him. That's a dra- dramatic and drastic step to take. I can't imagine being so driven by my faith to do that, but there are people who blow themselves up for their faith hands and feet holes putting in them (laughs) that's a bad sentence but putting holes in your hands and your feet is less dire than blowing yourself up so there's a possibility that padre pio did this to himself uh and there's also a possibility that he had self-incurred wounds that didn't go all the way through that were in the right spots and it's easy to sensationalize something like that uh, now, healing, uh, they don't give any examples of who he healed or how or why. Uh, they don't give any examples of his prophecies and how they could have been fulfilled. And other. And if they did, there might be issues of post-diction in there as well. And levitation, I mean, Chris Angel on TV can levitate, and he won't tell you how he does it, but he does admit he's a, a, an illusionist, a magician, and he's tricking you. So... Maybe Padre Pio was onto something earlier than Chris Angel. Uh, and then it says that he, he was exhumed in 2008, 40 years after his death, and looked almost exactly the same as the day he died. Depending on the amount of money that uh, was afforded to his funeral, especially seeing that he died in the 60s, he could have been very well embalmed. One of the most famous embalmings in the United States uh, to happen before his death would have been about 100 years before when Abraham Lincoln was embalmed, and it made the practice really popular in the U.S. Now, I know I'm not providing you with a source, but it's something very easy to look up. Uh, so if he was thoroughly embalmed, uh, he would, you know, decay much slower. And then if he was properly entombed, he could be kept pretty dry and keep things away from him that might otherwise feast on his remains. There's a good possibility he would be mummified in a state that's pretty similar to when he died. There's a lot of factors that play into that, and I'm not saying that's 100% the case, but that's a good likelihood, because even Lincoln looked pretty similar the last time his body was exhumed. But we know that he was pumped with embalming fluids. Let's go to the fourth one here, second to last one. Vesna Volovic. Here's the reading. 
Serbian former flight attendant Vesna Volovic holds a miraculous world record, the longest fall without a parachute after a plane uh, that she was working on aboard working on in 1972 exploded 33,333 feet in the air. Somehow, Vesna was the only person to survive the detonation out of 28 people. She was pulled from the center of the plane wreckage with a fractured skull, two broken legs, three broken vertebrae, but alive. That's a nice and brief, that reading there. We're going to, to deconstruct a couple things here that you might not expect. The first thing I want to take apart is the 33,333 feet in the air. So many threes, right? It's easy for the human mind to look at something recognizable like a pattern and go, there's purpose here, there's a meaning here, there's a, an answer here. You might feel like you're only ever seeing the clock at 11.11. In fact, right now it's 12.12 And when I look at the clock. But the thing is, is we can confirm the hits and deny the misses very easily in what's called confirmation bias. And so it might seem special that the number is 33,333, but that's not necessarily special. It's just a number in feet. If this were measured in meters, it would be a different number. If this were measured in in any other measuring unit, like Roman feet, it would be different. So that number is largely insignificant, other than that is supposedly the height from which she fell. Now, we don't have documentation. They don't link me to any sources that say that this happened, but it's 1972. I bet I could look it up. But I wonder how many things just reference each other without actually referencing the original incident. That would be an interesting task to undertake. Now it says the fact that she's the one out of 28 to survive must be the miracle. It's kind of what they're implying here. But anytime, anytime something drastic, dire, or terrible, or tragic takes place, there's always some level of possibility even as it approaches zero, that someone will survive that tragedy. Now, if you're unfamiliar with an asymptote, this is a point that you can get closer and closer to, but never touch. In these possibilities, in this incident, z like zero survivors isn't a given. It's just more and more likely. Getting to zero gets more and more likely due to all the factors at play. But it's never 100% everyone will die. Now, there are times where something like this, where 100% of the people do die. But those chances, you know, even as they shrink, still exist. And there could have been multiple factors. We don't know if she had um, uh, any attachment. Like, was she stuck in a seat? Uh, was there something that fell beneath her or above her that helped change the way she was falling, block something? Was she holding on to something? Were there different things that could have played a factor in how she felt? Is there anything that could have slowed her descent? Is there anything that could have broken her fall? And ultimately, at the end, the Earth broke her fall. And even when those odds are incredibly small, they still exist. People still win the lottery. All right, on to number five. Our Lady of Guadalupe. Here's the reading. In 1531, Juan Diego said the Virgin Mary appeared to him, first asking him to build a church where he stood, and then later to collect a bundle of flowers. When he opened his robes, the flowers fell away to reveal a now famous image of Mary. 
one which can still be seen today in the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. Roman Catholics claim the image has survived ammonia spills and even a bomb explosion, but one hard fact remains. The painting remains as colorful today as it did 500 years ago, surviving the Mexican heat in a way contemporary replicas could not imitate and with minimal restorative work. All right, so this one ties back to one of her earlier ones, uh, you know, with the Lady of Guadalupe. The first claim they're making is that this guy, Juan Diego, saw the Virgin Mary. They don't explain whether or not anyone else saw it, so it's very easy to make it up. I can say that I saw aliens laying in my backyard, and you just have to trust me, right? He has a lot of, uh, a lot of evidence to provide for this claim. With extraordinary claims must come extraordinary evidence. However, we can set that aside, right? He built this church. And as a person of faith, this was important to him. So he got to complete his task. Um, and then he created, or at least commissioned, this artwork, right? And they claim it survived ammonia spills and bomb explosions. And those, once again, surviving something has... You have chances. You have odds. But 500 years ago, we didn't have the incredible high-quality photography we have now. And we probably didn't document any of the changes in paint that may have been used because everything does decay. So I am wondering, how do we know that it looked as good today as it did 500 years ago? We don't have anyone around from 500 years ago to verify it. We don't have any record... At least, once again, no sources are provided. So we don't have any record of, like, are there new cracks? How is the moisture working? Can we measure any of the levels of moisture in the paint? Is there anything that's changed about the pigments? A lot of these things do change. We know how paint works. And as someone who works with paints and colors and papers, I know that just like the referencing, like, sunlight and heat and moisture can all impact how your media works. So for 500 years of change, I would love to see what documentation they've made to show that the change is insignificant to none, but they don't provide any. So once again, this leaves me with questions. I'm not coming here today to outright say none of these things happened. Now, the one that I would say is the least likely to have happened is the one that involves the sun, the miracle of the sun, zigzagging and spiraling and and ejecting rays and heat the earth would have changed so significantly in that moment the solar system would have been deeply impacted in that moment for the sun to zigzag around imagine the the ramifications of orbit this is the one that's the hardest for me to swallow i can rationalize away the other things and i could even say like hey you know Vesna fell, and that's amazing that she survived. I can say, hey, Juan Diego says he saw the Virgin Mary. He saw something. I don't know what it is. But when it comes to something like the Miracle of the Sun, I'm more inclined to say there probably weren't 50,000 people there, and whomever was there were probably lying. That's where I'm more going to lean. Because under what conditions would the sun go on a bender around our sky. It would take a lot 
and it takes a deeply credulous mind to believe so. So this was just a few different miracles, five different miracles I got from the History Channel's website in the UK. Uh, I know there's plenty of other things that are listed as miracles, and miracles are deeply important in numerous religions, but specifically in Christianity. They're very important to Catholicism. They're involved in sainting different people. So I, I understand how critical these moments can be and play towards someone's faith, but don't ever be afraid to question some of these things, to question anything someone says. Because I want to remind you that skepticism isn't contrarianism. It isn't just saying, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, 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 no. It is saying, okay, but how do you know that? What do you come to me with to tell me this is factual? And then measuring whatever evidence is given and making up your opinion on it. And I want to remind you that a part of that skepticism is knowing that it's safer to say, I don't know, than it is to say, I entirely believe you. This has been Fables of Our Deconstruction. Fables of Our Deconstruction is created by me, Dylan Jacobson. Don't forget... Leave a like and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support me and all of my work and join my community, the Brimstone Order, at patreon.com slash Dylan. And remember, you're never alone. We are in this together.